You can open to the letter of Colossians. And this morning, what I'd like to do for us is this. We've, we've actually made our way through the whole letter at this point. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is take a step back and, and look at this letter for what it means for us today. Obviously, a letter written to a particular church in a particular time, to very particular people, and yet its truths are very relevant to us. And so I've actually titled this sermon, if we can call it that to some extent, Colossians and Angelinos, because that's what you are. You're an Angelino, whether you like to believe so or not. Uh, unless you're visiting us from Riverside, then you're, you're not that. But this sermon will still apply to you. Um, the letter of the, uh, to the Colossians, it's been a, a wonderful uh, time looking through this letter. And now we're going to segue into the letter of Philemon uh, coming up the next few Sundays. The reason we're doing that is the theology that we see in the book of Colossians will inform the story and the picture that we see between the man Onesimus and Philemon coming up in this next letter. And so before we do that, though, Let's land the plane on the letter to the Colossians, and let's do so by quickly recapping to some extent what we've learned from this letter, what are the greatest takeaways from this letter, and then after that, if we have a little bit of time, I'm I'm actually even open uh, to taking some questions from you. So if there's things that have come up during the time that we've gone through the, the book of Colossians, questions that you've been meaning to ask, things that you have on your heart to ask things that you haven't had a chance chance to bring up yet. And this will be an opportunity, perhaps, for us to have a few minutes to do that as well. Let me start by praying, and then we'll enter into a, a discussion of what we should take away from the letter to the Colossians. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather uh, together and to be instructed by your word. Even in a, a morning like this where... It's not going to be one particular text, and yet it's going to be trying to understand the whole. Thank you, God, that we don't have to try hard at that, but you've made it so clear and plain to us what your intention is through your word. And so help us now, even as we think of the theology and the truths that are in this book, that we would use those to uh, foster a life that is uh, more deeply uh, loving of you and devoted to you in every way. We thank you, God, for your Uh, precious word, and for how it works in the lives of those who love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've followed along with us, I want to provide with you one more time the context of this letter, because I think it'll provide for you as well a meaningful way to understand the way that it segues into our world today. This letter to the Colossians was written to a church in Colossae, Uh, that was undergoing a season in ministry that was a little bit more difficult than they probably would have hoped. Uh, The man we talked about last week, or at least one of them, Epaphras, was the pastor of this church. And he went and gave word to Paul in prison of how this church was doing. And overall, the message of this church and the message of their faith was one that was very positive. It was very optimistic. They were doing very well. However, there was beginning to be a seed of of doubt in terms of the gospel and its sufficiency in the life of this church. 
People were beginning to step into the church and beginning to declare different things and different ideologies and different even understandings of who Jesus was. And that was beginning to cause some friction and division amongst this church. And so Paul's intention in writing this letter, it isn't to rebuke the Colossians, for those things are common. The reality that people will step into our world and will step into our context and try to tell us that Jesus is something or someone other than what we know him to be, that's not new. So Paul isn't writing to rebuke them, Paul is writing to encourage them. Paul is writing to strengthen them. We know that's true. First, uh, Colossians 1 verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Uh, this in many ways is the synopsis of his letter. He wants them to be strengthened. He wants them to be encouraged. And Paul sees that the only way to do that is to bolster their knowledge and confidence in who Christ is. You'll notice Paul doesn't take a lot of time in this letter to think about what opposing arguments are coming into the church. It's not his priority to debunk every ideology and every philosophy that makes its way into the church. Instead, Paul's way of dealing with the issues in Colossae is to make sure that they understand a true and right knowledge of who Christ is. That that if they're going to get it right, and if they're going to be able to withstand some of the things that are placing assault on their view of Christ, the only way to counter that is by making sure Christ is all the more known. Those who know Christ in full will live for him. Those who truly understand who Christ is can truly walk in him. And so Paul's letter is very simple. Paul's letter is one that makes sure we understand if if we know Christ rightly, then and only then can we live for him. And if we're going to defend the faith and if we're going to stand the test of time and if we're going to be able to give an answer to the arguments that come in against the things we believe, It's going to be no other way but knowing more of Christ, trusting in who he is, and living in a way that would honor him. We're invited to live in the present in light of a new creation that Christ is doing through his person and work. When we know Christ as he is, our lives are never the same. That's Paul's message to the Colossians. And you ask, well, our times are very different. How would this apply to us? Well, this is something that's common even to us today. And in fact, uh, I I pulled up an article that I think shows us just how true this is for us in our present day. It's an article I found in the New York Times, uh, a man writing an article, searching for a Jesus who looks more like me. And I think this is the common thread and the theme of what's going on in Colossae and why it's so important for Paul to give this church these set of reminders. He writes, Close your eyes and imagine that Jesus is in front of you. Okay. Is the man kneeling in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane 
Chinese. Is the man sitting at the table of the Last Supper Navajo? Is the man dragging his cross toward Golgotha Nigerian? Or is the crucified figure a woman? Now, this might come as a little bit of a shock and plenty weird to you, but if you continue to read this article, you'll come to a place where he says something that I think points at the very foundation of what's going on in Colossae and why it matters to us. This article was written right before Easter, and he says this, as Easter approached this year, I felt the urge to go on a pilgrimage in search of a more authentic rendering of Christ. One's reflective of race, but also of gender and sexual orientation. This is his great mission in the world. Do you understand what it is? The mission that this man has gone on, and it's the mission that men in the church in Colossae and people in our world continue to do, is to find a Jesus that would fit them. His mission was to find a Jesus that would fit him and to search the world to see how people would find a Jesus that also was suitable to them. And so he goes on to say, and I'm not going to read the entire article because it's mostly nonsense, but Jesus ends up being whatever you make him to be. If you want a white Jesus, you can have him. If you want a black Jesus, you can have him. If you even want Jesus to be a woman, You can call her Krista, and you can put her up in your Catholic church. It's literally happened. Jesus can be whatever you make him out to be. That's the world that Colossae lived in. But friends, this article from 2020 very much is the world that we live in today. Jesus has become something. He's become a symbol that we can make become whatever it is that we choose. Jesus is a defender and an ardent fighter for love in every form. Jesus is someone who fights for you to live whatever kind of life is pleasing to you. And if you do that, don't worry, because Jesus accepts that. Jesus is fine with every other faith. It's not an issue to him that you believe in Buddhism or that you believe in Hinduism or if you even give yourself over to Islam or or even if you remain in Judaism. None of that really matters to Jesus because Jesus is so accepting of you. If you want a tolerant Jesus, you can have him. If you want a non-confrontational Jesus, you can have him. If you want a Jesus who's really good at telling good stories and really good at giving you good principles to live by, you can have him. Whatever it is that you want Jesus to be, you can have that. Paul's argument to Colossae and the takeaway that we need to have for ourselves is nothing could be further from the truth than that. Jesus is not someone that we get to choose what's true about him and what isn't. He's not someone that we get to decipher what it is that we like about him and what it is that we don't like about him. No, Jesus is who he has revealed himself to be. And those who love and believe in him accept him as he is. So often we reverse that. We want Jesus to accept us as we are, right? And when we do that, the beautiful thing is now Jesus becomes everything I want him to be. 
Christianity is the exact opposite. We are called to receive Christ as he is. And we are called to conform into his image, not the other way around. Where the world will seek to tempt you to think differently of Jesus, hold on to a letter like Colossians that makes him known in truth. Where the world would seek to tamper with the things that you believe in, hold on to Jesus. He is the author of all doctrine and all truth. Where the world would seek to distract you from the person and work of Christ, hold on to Jesus, for there is no other way, no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And so three lessons that we learn from this letter that hopefully will help you to understand and know Jesus in truth and to live fruitfully for him. The three lessons, we've gone through these before and I'm going to highlight these quickly because we, we've already done it. But number one, Christ is superior over all things. If you know Christ in truth, you understand that Christ is superior over all things. Everything has a greatest something. And we've talked about these things before. When you look at basketball, you think of a certain person. You think of a certain person that comes to mind who stands out above the rest. When you think about music, there's someone that comes to mind, a particular artist that stands out above the rest. When you think about particular movies or films, there's one that comes to mind that stands out above the rest. The message of Colossians, it begins with this. If this church is going to withstand the pressures to change their thinking of who Jesus is, it must begin with them orienting their minds on him as being superior over all things. We recognize this in that Paul writes in Colossians uh, chapter 2. This is to the saints and brothers who are in Christ who are in the Messiah. In verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord, it denotes that Jesus is set apart from everything else because he is over everything else. Jesus is unlike us because he is above us. He isn't simply a friend. He is our friend who's also our master. He isn't simply someone who's a good example. He is perfect. He isn't simply someone who seeks to have relationship with us. That's true, but that relationship takes on a very particular form. And it's not just that you know each other, but that you understand who and how you relate to one another. Jesus isn't another buddy. He's not your homie or homet. If that's how you ladies say it, that's how I say it. Jesus is Lord. He stands above that means he's in charge. That means he has every authority and, and over your life and over the church's life. You can see this again in Colossians 1, verse 10. So we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Again, the greatest picture of this in Colossians is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And we can read that here. It says, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. 
In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Why? Because in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you're going to defend Jesus, if you're going to be faithful in living for Christ, if as First Corinthians or, or sorry, Colossians 1 23 says, if indeed you're going to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, then you cannot shift from a right understanding of who Jesus is. You don't get to make him up. He isn't some kind of imaginary person. He isn't some kind of person that you can conform into your likeness. No, Jesus is who God has made him and declared him to be. Jesus is who he's always been. From eternity past, over all things, bearing the semblance of the invisible God. Why? Because he is. This is who Christ is. He is Lord and he is superior over all things. Secondly, not only is Christ superior over all things, second, Christ is sufficient in all things. Christ is sufficient in all things. And you might ask, what kinds of things is he sufficient in? That's a great question, so let's answer it. I came up with the question. Colossians 1, 9. And so since we've The day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 2.3 says something very similar. It says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what does that mean for us? Christ is sufficient as it comes to knowledge and wisdom. You want to know God. Do you want to live for God? Do you want to walk before God in a way that demonstrates that you truly understand Him? You don't need more books. You don't need to think harder. You need to look harder at who Christ is. Look to Christ, and there is fullness of knowledge and wisdom of God. He's sufficient in knowledge and wisdom. He is sufficient for your life. Colossians 1.10, So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, so this knowledge of God and this wisdom of God, it produces fruit. But not just any fruit, every good work. It, it, it abundantly increases every good thing that you can do for God. You want to live a life that is honoring to God, then you need Christ. Verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. This then tells me that Christ is sufficient so that we would be strengthened. He's sufficient in power. He's sufficient to make us endure. He's sufficient to make us patient. He's sufficient to give us joy. And He's sufficient to give us gratitude. Colossians 1.12 
He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of as saints in light. He's also delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This tells us that Christ is sufficient in delivering us from sin. And he is sufficient in redeeming us of that sin, forgiving us of that sin. Do you want to be done with sin? Answer, then you need Christ. If you want to do away with sin, there's one answer, and his name is Jesus. And yet he's still even more sufficient. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What does this tell us? This tells us that Christ is a sufficient message. When we go and declare the truth of the gospel unto a broken and needing world of love and hope, what do we tell them? Do we tell them simply that they're wrong? Do we tell them simply that they don't know what they're talking about? Do we simply tell them that we're right, that we have a better way of living, that we have a more moral way of living? No, it's very simply we proclaim him. The greatest apologetic answer that you could ever have in your tongue is Jesus. He's sufficient. He's sufficient to save. He's sufficient to warn. He's sufficient to teach. He's sufficient for maturity. The reason that we proclaim Christ and we warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom, why is it? That we present everyone mature in Christ. You want to grow up in the faith. You want to do better. You want to walk in God's ways. Then you need Christ. 129, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Not only is he sufficient to call you out of darkness and to bring you into light. Not only is he sufficient to be worthy of being followed, but he's also sufficient to make that happen in your life. The same one who calls you to do good works, the same one who expects that from you, he also enables and empowers you to do that. Colossians 1.29, he's sufficient. Colossians 2.2, 2. Paul writes to this church that their hearts may be encouraged, that they would be knit together in love, and that they would reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Have you ever doubted the reality that you believe? Have you ever had questions about your faith in Jesus? Have you ever thought, man, if I was truly a Christian, I wouldn't think this way. I wouldn't say these things. I wouldn't do these things. Thanks, Tim. If that's you and you've had those doubts in your life and you had those moments in which you thought, man, I might not actually believe because I don't think that I, I, don't think that I can truly say that based upon who I am and what I do. Paul writes to you and says, that's completely fine. Your salvation was never meant to depend upon you because he is sufficient. Do you want assurance about your faith? Do you want to know that you are saved? Then you need to know Christ. He is sufficient. He's done enough. He's obeyed enough. He sacrificed enough. 
All in all, the message of Colossians is Jesus is enough. All these things culminate. Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world? Jump to verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is sufficient. And so you don't live by any other standard and you don't live for any other purpose but to declare to the world that you need him and so do they. Why? Because he is sufficient. The pastor John Stott, he says it this way. The very first step to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is the humble admission that we need him. Nothing keeps us out of the kingdom of God more surely than our pride and self-sufficiency. Paul writes to this church so that they would hope in no one else. Most assuredly so that they would not hope in themselves. That they wouldn't give in to other views about who Jesus is. That they wouldn't make up a Jesus uh, that does not exist and never has existed. Why? Because the Jesus we have is the only Jesus we need. Jesus as God has shown him. Jesus as has always existed in eternity past. Jesus as came and lived and died for you and rose again and lives forevermore. That's the Jesus you need. You don't need a more gracious Jesus. You don't need a more loving Jesus. You don't need a more conf- confrontational Jesus. You have everything you need in this Jesus. He's sufficient. And because of this, because he is superior over all things, and because he is sufficient in all things, Paul makes the argument, Christ is then the standard for all things. Christ is the standard for all things. Christianity isn't some kind of religion by which we we hope that Jesus informs who I am. Jesus isn't here to inform who you are. Jesus is here to transform who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's why he came. Jesus knows the desperate need that you have for grace and mercy. That's why he came. And when you believe in that and you know that, when you hold on to that with confidence that Jesus is both superior over all things, and he's also sufficient in all things. Then you look to live for him in a way that demonstrates that that same Jesus is Lord of your life and sufficient in your life. He then becomes the standard by which you observe the world. He becomes the standard by which you live your life. This is the message that Paul gives over and over the gospel of Christ, as you believe and behold in a superior and sufficient Jesus, it changes you, not in a superficial level, 
but from the inside out. He declares this over and over in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 6, the gospel bears fruit and it increases among this church. 1.10, because they've believed in him and they know him, they're all to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 1.22, God has reconciled us through his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 1.28, as we already read, we proclaim Christ so that we would be presented mature in Christ. 2.6, Paul makes his mission for this church clear. For, for this I toil. This is the reason I minister. This is why I struggle with all the energy that's at work within me. It's for your sake. 2.6, therefore, as you've received Jesus Christ, so walk in him. And you guys would remember recently we went through chapter 3. Because we now have new life in Jesus, you put to death what is earthly in you. Colossians 3, 5. You, you put on newness of life. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And it's all encapsulated in this verse, 317. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Your life has a new standard by which it lives. And that standard is the person and work of Jesus. It isn't simply the people around you. It's not even simply your leaders in this ministry. And it's not most keenly me. God forbid that you would think that in any way, shape, or form, we're the, the standard for your life. No, we're trying to pursue the same thing together. And that is Christ. And a Christ who is known in truth is worthy to be followed. That's Paul's message for this church. Would you make up your own Jesus? May it never be. Would you try to make up a Jesus that satisfies you? May it never be. You need a Jesus that makes you uncomfortable with sin. You need a Jesus that teaches you about truth and reality. Things as they are because they've been made that way by God. You need a Jesus who doesn't just tell you, try harder and do better, but a Jesus who transforms you to be more like himself. And that's the message that Colossians gives us. Christ is superior over all things. Christ is sufficient in all things. And Christ surely is the standard for all things. And when you understand that, not only do you set yourself up, to live a life and to be someone who dem demonstrates and truly can show others that they love Christ, but you also set yourself up to be the kind of person who can go into the world and who can truly declare Christ unto a generation and a people who desperately need him. This is the message of Colossians. It's that Christ came to transform sinners. And Christ known in truth is followed from the heart. When you behold Jesus, not as you want him, but as he is, then and only then can you live for him. That's the message of Colossians. At this time, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, we still have a few minutes, so I, I would love to take a few questions if you have them. Uh, this is, uh, whenever you preach a book, there are things that either can go unsaid or things that can go um, 
unspoken, you've had questions or you have thoughts, I'd love to answer anything you might be thinking of with relation to this book. So this isn't a, a, a time to ask about my favorite pizza topping. That would be after. It's an opportunity to ask, hey, in this letter, there's something I, I haven't understood. There's something I'd like to know more about. And I'd like to take an opportunity to answer any questions that you guys may have. We'll do that for a few minutes, and then I'll close our time in prayer, okay? So, questions. Joe Ng is ready to run you a mic, if you have a question. If you don't have questions, I will start preaching Deuteronomy. Just kidding. There's a question over here. past stuff in their life? Yeah, just with, like, your family, maybe not having the best relationships with their family, and then just not feeling alone in the community. Okay. Um, good question. I think one of the ways that you see this letter address that kind of issue is reminiscent of the message we talked about last week. Um, if there is someone akin to loneliness, it would be someone like the guy who wrote this, and that was Paul. Uh, a lot of times that being out of his own control, um, but he writes this from a position of understanding exactly that. Um, but one of the things Paul does is he, he doesn't allow his past to inform present joy. And the reason that that's true is because Paul understands life is not about him. Life is truly about Christ. And that's what this whole letter has been aiming at. That's what the entirety of this letter is driven at. That we need to know Christ if we're going to withstand pressures from outside the church, inside the church, and if we're going to walk faithfully for the glory of God, right? And so Paul, he tethers his joy, or he connects his joy and his peace and his hope, not into people necessarily, but into Christ. Now the joy when you do that is that you gain brothers and sisters who are there to walk alongside with you. And yet you still recognize that people can disappoint you and people won't always be there for you. And that's not because they don't want to be. That's literally because they can't be. Like I, I wanted to get coffee with Matt Palladian all of last week. Just he was in Spain. So was I jealous? Yes. Did I still want to get coffee with him? Yes. But it was literally an impossibility. And so that's just how life works, right? People can't always be there for you, but Christ most certainly can. And so you recognize that in the gospel, you're brought into a community by which, yes, you're encouraged by them, but there should be no greater encouragement in anyone's life that surpasses the encouragement we find in Jesus. If you want a true and faithful and lasting friend, it's in him. And I think that one of the reasons we struggle with that is because of the very issue that is happening in Colossae. We don't know him like we should, and we don't get to know him like we should. We, we don't turn to God's word to, to learn more about him and to see his glory page after page. We, we, re, we reject all those things, and then we say, man, why do, I, why do I not feel like, I don't feel like doing this today. I don't feel like encouraged today. Well, have you communed with him? Have you been with him? Have you taken time to be with God today? Those who spend time with God, they never regret it. And so that would be my encouragement. One is that person needs to look to Christ. 
because there's the greatest source of encouragement. To do that, you must spend time with him in his word. In order to to know your relationship with him, you're going to recognize you depend on him, so you're going to have to pray. And also you'll recognize that because of him, you have a community of faith, and you should never, I guess you could say this as well, which is you should never shy away from that community. Your issues are, are never too small, too big for the people of God. Um, maybe not to be broadcast to the world. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily go around the room and tell everyone how you're feeling. But you should have people in this room who can help you and walk with you. Why? Because those same people will also be looking to Christ. So I hope that helps. Cool. Any other questions? Comments, concerns, clarifications over here? Hello. Yeah. Okay, so Colossians 2, 20 to 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world? Do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul was dealing with primarily two different kinds of issues in Colossae. One is with respect to um, philosophy. So there's, there's people coming in and they have different ideas than what the church had. Different ideas even about who Christ is. And this is part of why Paul is having to make this argument. People are saying Jesus was just a good guy. He taught really noble things. He, he seemed like he knew a lot about God, but he wasn't God. Well, on one end, we have to confront that head on because that's not true. Jesus is God. On the other side of things, you have people coming in and saying, we, we love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. No problem with Jesus. I, I'd recommend Jesus 10 out of 10. Here's the only thing, he's not enough, right? So, so Jesus is great, only problem is we need to do more. God has sent Jesus to teach us some really good things, but you know what else you need to do? You still need to stay away from eating pork. Like that's not good for you, which all of you have gone away from that because you all eat bacon, except Caden. And so you, have, you, 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 you get it because you eat bacon, you know, but... They were being told, no, those things that we used to do to honor God, we need to, we need to keep doing those things. We can't stop doing things that would, would honor God. Even though Christ has already made it plain, those things don't matter anymore. And that's what the previous verses were saying, right? Let no one, this is verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival and new moon or Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. If you want to know God in full, everything you need is in Jesus. And to try to add to that is to tamper with the pure message of the gospel. When you tell someone, for example, maybe making it more applicable to you, if you were to go tell someone, this is how you get to heaven. This is how you are made right with God. You need to believe in Jesus, yes. 
but you need to read your Bible 30 minutes a day. And you can only listen to Sovereign Grace. And you can only listen to the Gettys, because they're, they're good too, Grammy-nominated. And you must come to my church, and you must, you're, you're doing too much. You're doing way more than Christ did. The thief on the cross, he didn't have a chance to get an LSB Bible, so I wouldn't hold someone to that standard, right? Now, you have breath in your lungs, and so do I, so something is expected of me. However, you come to recognize each of us are in such a different place. The issue is not how much you read your Bible, how, how much you retain it, right? The issue is why you want to do those things, not necessarily how or in what method you do them. And so there are things that are going to be common to us, like reading the scriptures, like praying, like singing, like fellowshipping. And yet there isn't some kind of, we need to be so careful that we don't go so far into that deep end that what we do is we hold people to standards of our righteousness and not Jesus's righteousness, right? And so that's kind of really the message that's being declared. There are people that come into the church and say, hey, wait, 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 we need to do all this stuff. Or even, hey, what are you doing? You can't listen to Elvis anymore. It's like, whoa, okay, but, but Tim said I could. And so I, I, you know, just go, what am I supposed to do? But this guy says I shouldn't, this guy says I should. It's not their call. That's Jesus' call. And you walk by faith, right? And, and so this is, truly it's giving you a, a depiction of what the Christian life looks like, one in which so often we meddle in each other's business rather than help one another, rather than encourage one another. Are there people in the room that are a little bit more legalistic? Absolutely. Are there people in this room who are a little bit more liberty? Absolutely. And the reason that is, is so that we can help one another. Not to draw people to live by my standard and me to live by your standard, right? And so you recognize very quickly, the minute that we do that, we go against the gospel of grace. I didn't deserve it, even though I was a religious person. You didn't deserve it, even though you were a reckless person. So what we've been granted is free. And how it changes us is unique to all of us, all of us in different places. And what we need to do is praise God for how God's at work in our lives and not hold each other to standards that are different and set apart and against even what the gospel is doing. Does that help? Good. Questions, questions, questions. No? I like that. Um, here's one thing I'll, I'll say as well. You can, you can kind of connect this, this thought, uh, basically even this question from Colossians 2, 2023. Uh, this kind of concept is so related to what you guys are doing Wednesday nights in Ecclesiastes, right? It's... Uh, it's a reminder that if you are understanding where you're headed in that book, and if you've been a part of that study so far, you're, hopefully you're going to notice Ecclesiastes is, is not a book about necessarily all the things that are right or wrong in the world. It's simply about the fact that God has given us life so that we would enjoy it. But that life ultimately is accountable to Him. Right? So... You have that same picture here. We tend to judge one another based on the things that we do day in and day out. But life is a little bit more free than that. And the reason is because God has given it. 
God has given us a gift that's called life. The fact that you're sitting here and the fact that you go to Bible study, the fact that you fellowship with one another, all of these things are God's gift to you. The fact that some of you have fun by, you know, doing donuts in a parking lot and some of you have fun by playing Smash Brothers till you're blue in the face and three in the morning. That's just how God made you. The problem is when we go around telling each other, hey, you're wrong for doing that. Hey, you're wrong for doing that. Hey, you're wrong for doing that. We're always pointing the finger and we're never helping each other. Right? That, that's kind of the message of Ecclesiastes is it's enjoy life. In fact, we're going to get there, Ecclesiastes 11, in particular for you, young person, do whatever you want. Just remember, for everything, you're going to have to give an account to God who judges all things. And so that begins to sober you up. It's less about what you do and it's more about who are you going to answer to, right? You can do whatever you want. Just know that one day you have to stand before God and tell him why you did everything you did. So, so less than trying to pinpoint all the things we can or can't do, we have to think way more about who is God and what would God re- desire for me to do? How would God desire for me to live? And that's a greater question for us than, than any other. And I think in some ways it's the heartbeat of Colossians because it's the heartbeat of the gospel. The gospel isn't going to ask you to do much. Christ has done it all. And now the gospel will change you as you are, right? Each of you from a very different context, a very different family, a very different culture. You like different things. You eat different things. You fellowship with different people. You go to different schools. So there's no way that the standard for Christianity for you is to be me or that the standard of Christianity is for me to be you. Instead, it's for you to glorify God wherever you are because Christ is with you wherever you go, right? And so as you study the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see some of these notes come up as well. The reality that life is a gift, but so is the gospel. And because of that, you're empowered with the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and with the, the fruit of that wherever you go. It doesn't have any, it doesn't discriminate based on context or background. It, it helps you and it's with you and it's for you wherever you are, right? So that's kind of the message that Colossians and, uh, gives, and that's a little bit of the connection that it has, even dipping back into a book like Ecclesiastes, that you'll continue to go through the rest of the semester. Uh, with that, let me pray for us. Um, and then next week, we will start our series in Philemon, which is a portrait of what we've seen in the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Help us to be people who prioritize Christ in our lives. Help us not to uh, point to our own righteousness or our own disciplines or our own um, abilities when helping others see who Christ is, but truly to point back to Him, to always show the person and work of Christ to people as He's revealed Himself to be, as we know Him to be, the sinless one who gave Himself for sinners so that we would be right with God, the one who died an atoning death and who rose again and who lives forevermore, one who will be worshipped and praised for all eternity because He truly is Lord. 
one who is sufficient for our sorrows, our pains, our struggles, and our sins, one who is sufficient in all things to redeem us and to sanctify us, and one who is worthy to be followed, one who has made himself the standard because he is God and very God. We praise you for this, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to see this and that our lives would reflect these truths, that we would not make Christ out to be anything other than he is. But if we truly know him, that we would live for him, that we would live for him boldly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.